Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, I'm Tom Colicchio, and this is Citizen Chef. Uh, On this podcast, we're looking at policy and shifts in society through the food system. Uh, This season, we're going over the basics of the food system and how food policy affects our daily lives. So far, we've talked to experts on immigration, slavery on the high seas, and food assistance programs. In this episode, we're talking about an almost 150-year-old idea, and that's reparations. I'm Italian-American. My, my grandfather came here in 1903 when he was three years old. My, grand, my great-grandfather brought him over, and my great-grandfather went back and forth and made a few trips while he was actually building a house um, back in uh, Vallata, Italy, where, where my family is from, my father's family is from. And now, now I got to think, if, if my ancestors were forced uh, to come to this country and enslaved, and when they were freed— they were promised 40 acres of, of fertile soil somewhere. And I knew that, that going back in my life, in my family, we would have been able to build some sort of wealth based on these 40 acres. If it stayed in my family for a couple generations, this would have been how my family built wealth. And if, if that were the case and it were stripped away from them, after 400 years of slavery, uh, Jim Crow laws and redlining and other forms of discrimination, you better believe I would take this personally and you better believe this is something that my family would live with. And this is something that my family would think that possibly we should, we should get something from the government. When we talk about reparations, I think too often people think it's just a payout. But but what it really is, is repairing a relationship. And that's the, re- the relationship between African-Americans uh, who were cheated out of land that was promised to them. How do, how do you repair that, that relationship? How do you, you know, mend those wounds? That, that's, that's what we're talking about here. How do you repair a relationship? You know, how do you make things right after years, you know, centuries of getting them wrong? And what does a true apology look like? So, so why why are we talking reparations on on our food podcast? Uh, this for for a lot of reasons, and I think we have a a confluence of of three different things uh, happening. Obviously, with the death of George Floyd and and the the protests that we're seeing, and and the Black Lives Matter movement really sort of you know being front and center in our news cycle, and then. In my opinion, a part of where we're going to end up with the movement is looking at reparations. So reparations becoming also uh, prevalent in our news cycle. Um, and I, I believe in the 2020 election, it's going to play a, a, a pretty important role as well. However, because the effects of racist systems can be found in every crevice of American life, we have to find where reparations are required in our corner of the world. Well, my corner of the world is food. So today, we'll be talking about what chefs and the food industry owe Black Americans. And because we are talking about land, and because we're mostly talking about farmland, and because our podcast has to do with food and food sovereignty, well, this, this kind of runs headlong into our conversations around food and around current topics. 
We're going to jump right in here. I had a conversation with chef and historian Michael Twitty, and here we go. We we had planned on doing a, an episode on reparations uh, going back when we first, you know, started conceiving the podcast. Um, and obviously it takes a, a very different meaning right now, I, I imagine. And that's why that's why I, I say I'm nervous having this conversation is because um, so often, uh, you know, white people like me get it wrong. I'm not asking from a position of, hey, I need help. Help me as a white person understand this. But there's so much we don't understand. And when reading through your book and reading through your blogs, um, man, I, I can't walk a mile in your shoes. I can't walk in your steps because there's there's too much history there. There's too much pain there. But I can walk alongside you and say, "Hey, I'm here to to do whatever the hell I can to 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 make things better and to be an ally." But man, this is it's really fraught. Um, but listen, let's just jump in because uh, why the hell not? So I, I do want to start by by asking a question here, and it's actually a a, a, a couple lines from your from your book. Um, and it says, I think it's in the intro, it says, I began to wonder if I ever really would be able to locate myself in human experience. What good is it to learn the flow of human history and to speak of the dead if their stories don't speak to you? What if food history and facts, figures and flashpoints? What good is your own position as a culinary historian if you can't find yourself in the narrative of your food story and if you don't know who you are? So, Michael, in, in your journey, um, who, who did you find out? Who who are you? Who wh- what is your role here? What as a, as a as a historian, as a as a, as a chef, as a, as a cook, as a someone who writes about food in a way where you cannot help but want to cook with you, alongside you, taste the food that you're cooking, and 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 understand your experience. So so who who are you? Um, you know, there was uh the the uh, Apu may he rest in peace and power. Um, once said on The Simpsons. In response to Homer, um, Apu, how are you? He says, I haven't slept. I was kept up by the howls of my ancestors. That's 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 my life. Um, but it's also the new connection with other people. Um, I think I joked with you when we met that, you know, I'm like 1% Italian. And I, and I figured out how that was. One of my family's uh, white folks was part Italian and part English. And um, that kind of like global feeling that you get once you do the whole DNA thing and discover those things in, in, in your family tree, you really, it's, it's more than just a percentage on a paper. You know, that and understanding that I am, an, as an African-American, I am valid and affirmed as I am. I think that I, um, I'm very proud to be of African descent. Uh, and I'm very, I'm uplifted by the trips that I've made to West Africa. At this point, I've made um, seven journeys and eight countries. Um, but I guess the point is, is that I didn't realize that we, you know, we we get we get talked about real, you know, every time something happens with us, someone has some smart shit to say. Excuse my French. Somebody has something, something nasty to say. It's a qualifier, and I'm like, you know what? No, we're we're an exceptional people and we're a very proud people among the many black peoples of the black Atlantic. Um, and I guess, you know, when I started out, the reason why I said that quote in the book was because I was in a field that was mostly white women, white women of some privilege, wealth and capital. Um, one of the few males, definitely. I, I, every time I walk in the room, I'm the raisin in the kugel, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not in the majority. And then, you know, they would write about these people in history in a sort of titillating, fun way and never really placed himself. And I said, that must be liberating to be able to write about something and cook something and live something and not wonder why am I here? Why am I in this space doing what I'm doing? And then, of course, there was this constant theme of the Black cook and the Black cook during slavery. I've always been fascinated by that. My ancestors from that time period are really calling me and my African ancestors are really calling to me. Because I guess I felt like, no, I didn't feel like, I knew they were being forgotten. Nameless, you know, slapped on boxes, um, given these monikers, and then they were going to fade away. And then, you know, in a, in a space between white guilt and black trauma. 
you know, and that's just what it is. So I started decided I'm going to document this stuff. I'm going to go through it. At first, it was like paper plates and plastic spoons and uh, stuff from the grocery store. And then it was like, no, nah, you can't be rolling like that. You got to you really got to really do the historical interpreter thing. And then a couple of years ago, it was just like, OK, you can't just talk about the food. And a sort of a, like everybody else, what you're talking about, you have to you have to do it. You have to translate what the folk culture into a language that culinary people can understand so that they can really grasp what you're trying to pass on. Or otherwise, they're not going to get it. You know, they can they can perceive it. You know what I'm saying? They can perceive it, but it's not the same language. Yeah, everybody wants to tell their stories through food, and, and, uh, and they they have to communicate, and because that's that that's the story that people want to hear. They don't want to know about a pretty a pretty plate of food. They they want to know the history behind it. They want to understand why you're doing what you do, why you're cooking what you're cooking, and so so yeah, trying to understand the the, the food that you you grew up cooking, uh, besides your your grandmother and your mother. Um, and then taking a deeper dive into why those. I mean, the, the story in your book of of, of homecoming, I, I thought I thought that was just a, you know this idea of abundance and this food that you're going to enjoy and it's your food, mm. and it's 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 food that you dream of and it's it's food that that means so much, um, and just the idea where you're going there. And you're with your people and you're having the time of your life and it's all about food. And, you know, I tell those stories when I, when I talk about growing up Italian right. and how I realized at a certain point that it's not necessarily what's on the plate, but it brings people together. Right. And then once you're together, then you have those discussions and whether you're talking politics or whether you're gossip, you know, this family gossip that, you know, right. <laughs> going back and forth. And, and so, you know, this is what it does. And so, you know, ha having that is, is you know, it, it is part of, of history. It is part of, of who you are. So how what what made you start sort of taking that deeper dive to, to go to Africa to really sort of finding um, uh, the, the, the I always say, you know, when I went to to Europe to learn how to, you know, cook either French food or Italian food. Uh, I, the, you know, what I learned there was why, not so much mm. what, but why, yeah. why you cook, why certain things are what they are. What, what did you, what did you find on those trips? I guess the, I guess my word would be who, who, ah, I like it. You know who, because like, um, so yeah, you get there and you see the staples and you go, I knew this was coming. But it's nice to know with my own two eyes and my mouth and my hands, it's all there. But what I didn't know was how many things had to be passed down and in, in almost like in secret. Mm -hmm. um, the, the most momentous moment for me was tasting on my hand. Okay, so like, I, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dude. So there, I'm not the, the, I'm not the cook. Women right. are the cooks. Unless you roast, unless you barbecue meat, roast meat, it's all the woman thing. So I'm going in, <laughs> and these women are looking at me like weird, like why is he even in our space? And so I took the spoon, then I took the sauce or whatever, and I put it on my hand, and I licked it off, and they all sort of getting very agitated and very excited, and like hey, and they sort of patting me on the back and 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 hugging me and kissing me on the cheek. And I'm like, what did I do? I just all I did was taste the food. Though, and I, then I said it, and I started coming out of my mouth. And said, the way my grandmother and mother <laughs> taught me. And then I realized they were excited because they realized that I had been taught the proper way, from generation to generation to generation. Mm -hmm. There's something you know, there's like you, you, in Africa, you look, you lick your hand and look at the back of your hand. And that was they were like, okay, he's not a black European from America. That's how they think of us until proven otherwise. And then it was like, oh my God. Yeah, he's one of us. He's one of us. He's one of us. He knows what's up. Um, and that's, that's then, so the answer is, who are they and who am I? Who am I? And that's this, you know, it's not a technique culture of food. It's more like, it's more like um, the circumstances in which you eat the food, the season you eat the food, the spiritual occasion um the feeling the feeling around the food is more important than the process of making it guys and so okay. that energy that you put into it that soul that you put into it is the key ingredient this the the area you know you know someone who is a peaceable person 
doesn't grow your peppers in Africa. Hmm. Someone who is <laughs> like from birth aligned with, you know, the deities that control war and blood and anger. That's the one who should grow the peppers. You know, this that's it's like everything is congenital. Everything is, you know, and also from heaven. And so there's that. And it's just like um, there's the, the rhythm and the kinesthetics. Like food is, you know, your body goes into it. So we joke around and say in, in, in Southern talk, someone put their foot in it. Mm-hmm. Well, that shit's literal in Africa because when you make the locust bean paste, they're like, it's like, it, it's like in Italy, you know, the stopping of the grapes. And so, so I listened, so I started, so I stopped looking for techniques and I started listening for the sound of it, the feeling in the body, the feeling in the room. And, and, and that really got to me. It made me understand why I didn't, I didn't always attach it was the color of the food and the color of the ingredients and, and just all of that, all that mattered so much more than the process. Mm-hmm. Although that's definitely there. It's, it's very deep and it's there and there's things you got to know. But I guess for me, another part for me was just like, I was, I was seeing things in reality that I had read about in books from two to 300 years ago. Hmm. Okay. And the fact that people preferred to eat food cooked over the wood fire with the, with the three rocks, that's, there's no such thing as let's, you know, modernize this food. It's almost like you have to eat the food that was eaten at the time our ancestors left the continent. Got it. So h- how did that change you as a cook? Oh, it, I, you know what? I tell, I tell people all the time that to be black American, be African American and go to Africa is to suddenly drop all the awkwardness that you felt about being black in America. Cause it, cause it's, cause it's you, the loudness, the spiciness, the, the greasiness, the, the, the fat frying in the air. I mean, all that stuff, all, all the, all the, well, it's queerness. Okay. I'm a, I'm a okay. queer person because I'm, because I'm gay, but I'm also a queer person because in relationship to normative whiteness, mm-hmm. being black is queer in America. Like being Italian was queer. was, was, yeah. yeah. And sometimes I, still is queer in America, you know? And I, I want to specify that for everybody. Queer in this sense means not normative in relationship to power. Right. So when you grow up here, black, you feel out of, sometimes you, you're made to feel out of your skin. Doesn't matter how much America appropriates blackness or uses blackness, black bodies, black labor, black, black mm-hmm. for entertainment, for whatever, you're still, you're still an outsider. You're still an other. And so you're made to feel like you'd never quite fit, quite fit in. But over there, 95% of the time, especially with the food culture, you feel as a black American that you don't feel awkward anymore. You feel natural. Yeah, I, I can hear the assholes already saying, we'll go back. I, I can hear I can hear it. Yes, <laughs> I, I got to answer for them. I got to answer for them. <laughs> Most of them that say that, they're already part Negro. They've already they've already incorporated blackness, Africanness, and coloredness and all of all of our all of our stuff into their life already. So they can go back with me. <laughs> you know, that's what that's, uh, that that was uh, uh Dick Gregory said that. He said, he said, You ever met a drunk white supremacist? And they said, I have. He said, Go back to Africa and take me with you. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. So so you you, you come back and, and you decide that the, the best place to to, to to ply your craft is on plantations. Yeah. Uh, um take me take me through that process. Okay. So I had already I had already been doing that kind of work, but the problem was I never forget when I first started, someone who I will not name said to me um, at a museum, a food person said to me, well, I don't know anything about Africa. And I said, we're in the South. You are right down the road from where slave ships actually came into North America. How could you not know this? And I just took a deep breath and said, stop, don't get mad, just do the work. Just do the damn work. And so I started with documenting every single ingredient that would have been used on any plantation anywhere in North America, North American mainland, and documenting where it came from, like the whole spreadsheet. Then I was like, okay, I got to get the clothes, and I got to get the utensils, learn how to use them, learn how to take care of them. Um, 
all of that. Then it was about the feeling. What is it? What does it mean? And I'm actually, Tom, I'm actually glad I've had negative experiences that that taught me, put me in the right mindset of just like, this is not easy. This is not cute. This is not whatever. Like one time in the book, I talk about how like I was at um, Stratford Hall Plantation, which was the um, home plantation of the Lees in Virginia. And it was dark and there was a big crowd for Plantation Christmas. So they had me in there cooking and talking about the food and it was this huge pot and it was really heavy. I mean, those pots get to like 60, 70 pounds and it was full of water. Water was hot and the fire was hot and it was dark. And I spilled some of the water and people laughed at me. And I got immediately angry and it was, and then I was like, I was like, y'all realize that this was back in the day. I could have gotten, I could have gotten severely punished for even making, having a human accident, a mistake. But then for them, it was laughing at me because, oh, this black guy thinks he knows everything and he's stumbling in the kitchen. Well, you try to be on a brick floor for, on, for, for 12 hours, you know, with flat feet cooking. And then, you know, but, but even more than that, people come to the kitchen, they'd be like, oh, I know what it's like to be a, um, a slave. I'm an evangelical Christian in America. Oh God! <laughs> Stop. You know yeah. what? I think I yeah. I think you also point out in the book that that not only were people punished, but people were put in ovens for doing this. Yes, in the Caribbean, for making Martin- mistakes for making in, mistakes. Yeah. In Martinique, a cook was actually put, was was put in the the bake oven, thrown in the bake oven, and murdered because he burned a cake. And the, the the mistress of the plantation sat through dinner, smiling and laughing and getting drunk, and then showed her guests the skeleton. And I, I mean, this wasn't, of course, this wasn't an everyday occurrence, but the the cruelty was the point. Right, right. And it was constant. But to go, but to go from there to Africa was always my dream. But, but because I wanted people to understand something, I guess our point, my point, is not that everything was African. But you know, Herman Keisling says something very important, nineteen twenty-two, almost hundred years ago. He says, everything that is born Africa remains African in spirit. And to get to to get to the other side of the ocean, you got to understand. Yes, there were European and Native American, other elements of the cooking, but the the hands of the black cook were the catalyst. The mind mm-hmm. of the black cook was the catalyst. And you have, but people don't even think Africa has a mind. There's an intellect, just like there is in Italian cooking and French cooking. And I just wanted to be able to be that translator through through historical documents, through lived experience, through people's memories that that uh, art and philosophy came to America through food, not just the taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll be right back. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. 
Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great tasting all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to symbiotica.com. That's C Y M B I O T I K A. Hey, this is Citizen Chef, and I'm Tom Colicchio. Let's pick up where we left off in my conversation with chef and author Michael Twitty. We're talking about how the question of reparations in America intersect with policy and cultural foodways, especially in the South. What is the debt, and how do we pay it back? Just from a food standpoint and from a, a land standpoint, what do reparations look like? Um, uh, you know, I know H.R. 40 is, is just set up to study it. Um, if, if you were put on that panel to study reparations through a food lens, what, what does that look like to you? Oh, first of all, we have to correct the violence of hunger, the violence of wasted food. We have to correct the violence of food inequality. We have to correct the violence of not having land. Why, why do you refer to as – I, I understand, but just for the listener, why do you refer to it as violence? Um, because these are ways to keep people – um, it's, it's, it's a passive aggressive form of war. I mean, you know, everybody knows about the Black Panthers. Oh, the scary Black Panthers. The scary, those scary Black Panthers. Yeah, they were scary because they were giving out food. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And they're, you know, I don't know if you know about the fake, the fake coloring books. No, no these, I don't. The fake coloring books that the CIA put out. This is not, this is, by the way, y'all, this is not me looking at some, something crazy. This is, these are actual things that exist. Um, co- fake coloring books for, they, they said, look at these coloring books these black kids are getting with the, with the Black Panthers. And they emphasized the food program. That was one of the things that J. Edgar Hoover and his, and his cronies thought was one of the worst things the Black Panthers did. It right. wasn't. Feed, feed yeah, hungry people. Feed hungry people and feed kids. Right. Before they, they realized kids were going to school without getting a meal. And that's right. why they started doing it. And that's that's dangerous for some reason. Yes, it's dangerous because the hand that feeds you, mm-hmm. you don't bite the hand that feeds you. You also, we also know now, you and I both know that a child that is nourished can think better, mm-hmm. can go to sure, school and achieve an education better, can, can doesn't have to worry about their mind isn't off worrying about where the next meal is going to come from or how where they're going to live tomorrow. And so mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing, that kind of power. I mean, it's like this. And um, when I was 2012, when I did the Southern Discomfort Tour, I went to the River Road African-American Museum. And there's this plaque on the wall from 1912 celebrating this community of Black Creole farmers that took the sharecroppers in the area and said, look, y'all don't have to go into debt. Go on eating, you know, the, the plantation owner's food and buying rations from him. You can get good quality food from our from our fields without shame come and get it and we'll all farm the land together and all i could think was they answered the question of what of how to tackle a food desert in 1912 without black twitter without facebook without instagram without snapchat and they did it in the face of the clan the knights of the white camellia and errant law enforcement and the plantation aristocracy which still existed so what are we doing wrong was a question I asked myself. Another element of, of reparations in this area is education. Why is it, where, where is the culinary school that has a, has a two semester class, not one, a two semester class on uh, Afri- African foods of the world, on the continent mm-hmm. and in the diaspora? Because we know, you and I both know, every time they learn about Brazilian food, Southern food, Caribbean food, they're learning about they're learning partially about Africa. Why not make that a singular thing or two parter in terms of classes? You know what I'm saying? You do this one, you do this one. I mean, it's it's, I mean, it's to to watch a to watch a black or brown kid go to culinary school and go, I didn't learn about native food. I didn't learn about no African food. You know, I barely learned about Latinx food. What that means, and then what it what it what it actually is. Not just the the ingredients, techniques, and blah blah blah, blah recipes, blah blah. Right. You know, 
more than that. Hi- and, yeah, history. You, history. We, you, and, right. It also means reparations in terms of land. Mm-hmm. Land. Stop giving away this damn land to these developers. Give it to, you know, give it to folks who want to farm and produce or keep it natural. Just keep it natural. Because that's another part of our story. It's not just always messing with the earth. It's also engaging with foraging, fishing, hunting, raising livestock. It's, you know, those are those are things that preserve our culture. Hmm. As well as just do that. So to me, reparations looks like all of that. All of that and then more so. So it's it's completely taking back the food system. Yes. And right. re-Africanizing it. Re-Africanizing the food system. I like that. Yeah. Now, but that, that, would, that would sound so scary to, too, to so many people. Why shouldn't that be scary? <laughs> the first thing's first. <laughs> I mean, I want to ask uh, anyone who, who thinks, uh, I don't know about that, should ask themselves why my last name is Twitty and not Njai. Mm-hmm. Should ask themselves, why my beard goes out of why my beard and my hair go out of my face like this and not curly. There's so many, there's so many aspects of black identity in America and then and in the Americas plural. Cause you know, we're in a shit show in Brazil. We're in a shit show in parts of the Caribbean because we're still underneath those colonial and slavery forces. Like people people never even ask themselves, what would it be like to wake up tomorrow? And not have the family name that's been passed into my family for th- for hundreds of years. What would it be like if my child did not look like me, because um, of some of some viciousness? Right. What would it be like if 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 I couldn't tell you who I was beyond a certain point because it was taken from me? So if I can live this life for four hundred and one years, on uh, you know your your eccentric life. You can you can come with me to the multi-million-year-old African life and understand, oh my God, that's part of who we are. Yes, you know, black, blackness is not a bubble. You are part of blackness too. The same way I've signed on to be part Italian, part Mexican, part Chinese, part Korean in this multicultural society we have. If you, Tom, if you don't understand what a bloody gift it is, to be in this global era in a multicultural society, you don't know how to be an American. And it's a shame that those of us who've, who've had the most to lose, African and, African and indigenous people, have to teach that to the rest of everybody. Right. Got me no, preaching. Uh, that's good. <laughs> and why not? I'll let, the, I'll let that sit in. Uh, just sink in here for a second. Um, uh, I, I want to ask you about um, uh, again. I want to go back to your to your book, um, the Cooking Gene, mm-hmm. and um, there was a a, a quote. Was, I, I, I'm a a fan of your your writing. Uh, obviously, I'm a fan of what you're writing about, but the prose itself, I, I just found find to be so. Uh, it's so descriptive to the point where where when you when you um, write about your kitchen, I feel like I'm sitting in your kitchen. Um, when you write about again, like homecoming, I feel I'm at that table. Mm. When you write about your experience, it's, this is what I love about about your writing. I could almost put myself in the experience, although I know I I know that is, I, I can't get completely get there. But the the the, the writing does that, and that's, that's what good writing usually does. And so, but you you wrote um, in your book, and you were talking about literacy, um, yeah. and you were talking. I think the quote is, uh, "We could write down our own stories. We had to tell them to others, and this caused facts and words to be bent." Uh, I wonder what our history would have looked like if every man and woman could have written down or passed down a written account of their own lives. Mm-hmm. Is this why you write? Yeah, because you know, I'm. There's so many details. It's so, a, lot, a lot of times, especially with with our food history and our culture, it's like even among our own people. Um, in America, I mean, everybody buys into the same narrative you can tell in 30 seconds. They came, they were stolen from Africa. They came to America. The white people threw some shit at them, threw some slop at them. They remixed it. They were geniuses, created soul food. And that's all you need to know. They don't know that everybody didn't have collard greens, for example, or that there's like 60 different type of collard greens and that things were very regional, hyper, you know, hyper specific to the climate, the area that you're in, or even... The, the type of enslaved Africans, what ethnic group they came from. So for example, as an Italian-American, 
There's a big difference between people who came from Northern and Central Italy to America and those that came from the South. And the languages, the, the dialects that they brought from Sicily and Naples and Calabria versus other parts of Italy that, and where they settled and what kind of jobs did they do. All that, all that matters in black uh, food history and Southern food history, American food history as well. So I'm actually, I, I, it's, it's, it's kind of horrible because you get to the point where you realize that you got to leave a legacy and you can't tell everything, but you can leave the, you can leave the blueprint behind, you know, that's what I, you know, Therese Nelson is actually responsible for the, the format of this book, where she talked to me one day, she said, we're both, we both come from black folks from South Carolina. We only know so much about where we come from. I want you to write us a blueprint so we can find our way on our own. Yeah, that's what I, that's my goal is to make a blueprint. And, and that's a, a blueprint to be used to be used by by other people to to find their way as well. Look, I had a when I first started this project, I had a young man, he was um he was a little bit younger than me. Wasn't that we weren't that far apart in age. And I did a I did a a speech in in a college in Pennsylvania. And he comes up to me and he says, "Hey, uh Michael, I want you to know that um in 2 days I'm leaving for Italy." And he said, I saw your journey down south. And he said, I want to do the same thing with, with my family. He said, my family's from Scranton in New York. And he says, I always loved my grandmother's food and my family and traditions, but I don't really know where they came from. I don't know what their life was like back in Italy. And he said, I didn't even think about that until I started following your journey. So I'm getting on a plane two days. I don't know what happened to him. But for me, that was that was validating in the sense of, I know that my journey is universal. Do white people know that? Do white people know that I'm speaking to them as well? That I am not leaving them out of the conversation? That if they are not in the conversation, I'm not doing this right? And black folks, yes, I am centering us, but I want you to know something. I'm not rehashing some easy, unnuanced, uncomplicated myth that we can just glide by. No, this is going to make everybody pissed off, inspired, and in love, or I'm not doing this right. Is there an American cuisine? Absolutely. And what? what Absolutely. Yeah, what, what? I mean, obviously, we, we can go through region by region, but but what what do you think the roots of 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 American cuisine is? I think it's I think it's layers. I think we have to understand things aren't things are in layers because they're different. Um, I'm a I'm a lover of American history and especially lover of African and African American history. But um, I got to tell you that it's not one thing and it, yes there's regions and there's all that um that's important but i guess for me the roots of the cuisine are um indigenous and and african um if i had to boil it down to five groups i would say you have to talk about indigenous people you have to talk about africans you have to talk about um I call it the 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 Iberian world in the Americas. So, yeah, I, I don't want to call it Latin or Latino. I just want to call it that you know when the Spanish and Portuguese came to the Americas and interacted with Native and African people, they came with a food agenda because they were food lovers and they set up a food environment that approximated what they had. Um, you know. I would say that you can't talk about American cuisine without talking about Italians on their own. And then, you know, with and with them, the Greeks are the Mediterranean people. And you talk talk about it without East East Asia. You know, um, because and I say that because other groups have of course built their food culture in America on the roots that were established by these, you know, immigrant communities and indigenous communities. But, but, you know, is, I, I say that, you know, one of the answers I have to appropriation, which we can get into, and, and cultural sharing is that if you were from the Pacific Northwest and you grew up with, you know, Pacific Rim food and, and, the, and the natural food of the Pacific Northwest, those beautiful cherries and wild fruits and all of that, and native ingredients and the fish and all that, that's, that's what you're rooted in. It doesn't matter what color or background you are. That region feeds who you are. If you, you know, you know, you know when somebody's from a place and they love that place because they're rooted in those food traditions. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, Amer American food is in layers. It's global, it's indigenous, it's colonial. And by colonial, I do not mean nice little colonial buckles on the shoes. I mean colonial as in, oh my God, this is horrific. And it's and it's uh, and it's also divisive. American food, by its very nature, is 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 is, is divisive. And we have to understand this. It's divisive. You don't hear anybody else more than Americans argue more about um, the the precision of recipes based on state, region, place, and also Americans racialize food more than anybody else. So I think we have to really have to wrestle with yeah. that. That we we have a food tradition that's very uh, chauvinistic and divisive, okay. even though it's incredibly beautiful. And, and you're right. So. It, it, you said something really important there, because when people, and I've, I've always thought about this in terms of what I do, I cook what I call American food. It's really it, it's some influences from, from Italy and, and France, because that's kind of how I grew up cooking. Right. But, uh, and I would say sometimes, like, people don't say they want to go out for American food. It's like they want to go out for French food or Italian food or maybe mm -hmm. Greek food. When they start saying, we want to go out for African food, when white people start saying that, maybe that's when it starts to sink in. You know, maybe that's what we need to start hearing. And obviously it needs to be taught. Listen, we need to start in schools and teach history. I mean, I, 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 I screwed up royally in naming a restaurant um, a couple years back. Um, uh, it was in an old historical building. There were two publishers named Fowler and Wells in the building. Um, mm -hmm. And they published journals of phrenology. Mm. And I had no idea what that meant in terms of, you know, how it affect black people. I had no idea what rabbit hole I was going down. I was never taught. And for mm -hmm. me, I was like, you know what? I, I, I got to be a little more, take a little more responsibility and do the work because I stopped short. I thought I did the work, but I stopped short. And so it's, it's, uh, it was just eye-opening. To, to, it was what I was, I was leading into the idea of teaching history in school and we're leaving out huge pieces of it yes and, and and so again going back to what what your your blueprint it's a blueprint of really really anyone to take that journey and find history but also realizing that there's a huge part of american history that is left off and it's not enough to have black history month no <laughs> it's not no. enough but but, I, but you know what you know what i would i'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna absolve you of your journey because your journey in that was important but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking that, for absolution here. No, 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 no. I yeah. know you're not because you're taking responsibility. Yeah. You're owning it. But I'm, but I'm gonna, but I'm, but I'm gonna say something to you about it because I think that um, this cultural literacy problem affects us both. Okay, because I respect the fact that you have, a, you know, the the the, per, the person you described who was working for you had a really in-depth sort of like engagement with awareness. But Brahman, I know a lot of well-educated Negroes <laughs> that don't, that don't, that wouldn't know the difference any more than you. Because listen, and this, this is why people get upset. Not people, excuse me. Let me be specific. White people, who, who are kind of caught unaware. They get upset because they go, well, I didn't know that. Well, this wasn't this. And that. Why does it matter? Why are you bringing politics in this? Why are you bring race into it? Whereas those of us who are on this other path are going, if you don't know how insidious and how woven in mm -hmm. this is to the basic fabric of not just American, but Western society, period, then yeah, you're missing the point. I mean, it's it, to, to me, it's like to be aware of these things, to be aware of these connections is really to have to confront oneself. You have to, you, in other words, you have to, you, part of the educational process isn't just knowing the facts. It's knowing what the facts mean to you. What are they, what are they actually on, on the ground mean? I mean, I, I, I'm collecting American history textbooks right now. And not one of these damn cook textbooks, except for maybe the one that's coming, not one of them talks about how important cotton was to the American economy. Uh, to the European economy, too. 
Yes, exactly. And all the fact that there's like people think of oh, yeah, so so I've heard it. I've heard it a thousand times. Yeah, I know that you had a shitty life. You're picking cotton down south or something. But then you got your freedom. No excuses. And I said no, no, no. That cotton represented two thirds of the American economy, and the processing of that cotton, exportation of that cotton, meant the European immigrants come here to a better life, get land, have opportunities. So no, 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 no. Tobacco paid for the the American Revolution via France. Mm -hmm. We paid our debts. And then when the French and the Germans went into revolution, that was the planters of the, the Upper South started growing wheat and corn because Europe wasn't even growing grain anymore. It was, it was a constantly a revolution and a war. So, you, so if you don't know those three facts, right? Three or four facts. Then you think that the Black experience is ancillary to whiteness. And it's not. It's central. Right. No more, no different than me having to understand that when Europeans decimated their resources between the 14th and 17th centuries, they then had to figure out either we're going <laughs> to just massive review what we're doing or we have to go other places and colonize. Right. We have to, you know, the last, last comment on that. We have to know how interpersonal and interconnected our stories are. You know, I can't, I, there's no way that I can appreciate you without that contextual fullness. And so it has to be more than just places and dates and times and, and, and our trivia. It has to be meaningful and you have to feel it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, I, and that's, that's what I imagine is so hard for, for so many people you know, you look at the original sin of, of, of our country and slavery is that sin. And then they have to go back and say, man, not only did we, you know, build our country on the bodies of enslaved people, but they actually made the country. They, 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 and, and, and people yeah. don't want, they don't, they don't want to give that up. And I think I, I, I you know, e even liberal people, I think, look at it and go, well, yeah, okay, I, I get it. I, I, I you know, and, and it all sounds good and let's move on. No, it's, I can't move on because unless you actually admit to that, there's no moving on. Right. Right. There's, and, and that's, that's what, that's where I think the change when you we're talking right now of, of obviously with George Floyd's death and people yes. that there's changes just, in the uh, air and, and COVID also exposed so many, you know, uh, for the fragility of our country and our economic system and our food system. And so, you know, can we find a better way? But it has to start with actually, you know, acknowledging that. And until we do that, there is no moving forward. And, and, and people don't want to be vulnerable. Tom. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to cede power. You know something? I think you said something about that one time. And I said, I said, somebody better take his white card and give him black toaster. Because <laughs> he just said, he just said something about ceding some damn power. Because that's honestly what's what's up. And it's not, and it's not that you giving away all the power. It's just saying, I, I can I can afford. Yeah. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about fame or position or platform. Yeah. You just suck my whiteness. You said I can afford to see some of this whiteness and so can you. It's, it's not going to make me any different. It's not going to. It's not going to change no. my life. Uh, but but it can all. change a lot of other people's lives, you know. And and it, it exactly. And, and that's that's where I think the conversation needs to go. And and I'm I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm hearing from from so many of my friends. Just sit back and listen. Do the work. You don't need to have the answers. Don't even think you have the answers. And um, I got I got to say this conversation. I was I was um, I was nervous coming in. Um, and I feel so much better after having it. And, and I don't say that from wanting you to make me feel better about myself, but I, I, I having voices like you out there and, and I really believe that you can heal so much through food and using food as the context by, by, by reclaiming history, telling history, having people understand the experience, having people like you doing it, I think gets us closer to understanding acceptance you know, changing, changing some minds and changing, changing, you know, our experience here in this country, because something's got to give. Thank you. Um, and, and I think, uh, um, you know, I, I just, you know, you're, you're not afraid. I'm just, I'm just happy to spend this last, uh, I think we're going on an hour now with you. So, uh, um, thanks man. This was a uh, great, great conversation. I appreciate it. The hardest thing I do 
is when I interpret slavery, sometimes people don't understand. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of times it's, it's a fellow people of color and they think, why are you re-traumatizing us? I'm not re-traumatizing you. Yeah. I'm showing you the way to heal yourself is to stare your past, your present, your future right in the eyes and don't blink. Hug yeah. your ancestor and hug your descendant and hug yourself and heal and move. We, 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 we have to because you know something we cook in the kitchen with dead people the funniest thing I remember for when he did dinner with Omar was I was joking about you know when you're when you're when you're white your your people stay dead and you go not when you're Italian <laughs> so yeah <laughs> now they have, they have a way of coming they back show up you. they show up they do, I know. They, they do. They, they show up they really do alright Michael pleasure pleasure talking to you stay, stay thank you folks thank you family stay safe man Absolutely, y'all too. Again, a very special thanks to Chef Michael Twitty. And as always, a shout out to A Place at the Table. Citizen Chef is a production of iHeartMedia. Christopher Hasiotis is our executive producer. Jesslyn Shields is our researcher. And Gabrielle Collins is our producer and editor. Don't forget to rate us. And uh, we'll catch you the next episode. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Got menopause? We've got you. Hi, Jackie here, founder of ExoJackie. Feel supported throughout your menopause journey and beyond with our organic protein powders and symptom relief boosts. Formulated to keep bones and muscles strong, ExoJackie products help reduce bloating, hot flashes, and weight gain. Enjoy 20% off with promo code EXOPODCAST. Shop now at exojacqui.com. Made for women by women. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.